Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today I welcome Michael Bernstein to the show, and he joins us to talk about personal finances. We've been talking a lot about finances and money and you know, just anything that we really need to know right about now, particularly with people shutting down, businesses in trouble. It's important to have your personal finances in some kind of order. So he says there's a big six of stable personal finance, and he's going to walk us through those. And Michael is also known as your working out accountant, and you can follow him on YouTube. He is passionate about both fiscal and physical fitness, and I'm going to ask him if there's a parallel. Now, Michael launched Bernstein Financial Services Incorporated in 1987 with an emphasis on tax accounting. Consulting and accounting firm prepares approximately 2,000 individual tax returns and more than 250 business returns, LLCs, corporations, fiduciary returns, and estate tax returns each year. He is also the author of The Ultimate Guide to Planning Your Personal Finances, and I'll get him to tell you how you can get a hold of that book. It's really easy. And that can be found on Amazon or on his website. Michael, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. It's great to be here, Denise. Thank you. Okay, you mentioned, I have to ask real quick, you mentioned in my virtual green room that I was cutting out. Do you still hear that? Uh, No, it seems good so far. All right. Okay, so let's get rocking and rolling then. So tell our audience a bit about you that I might have missed there and why we need to really pay attention to personal finances now probably more than ever. Sure. So. As you indicated to the audience, I've been doing tax work and I'm a principal, one of the two principals in a tax firm with 15 employees for about 30 years. And I don't think personal finances comes naturally to virtually everybody. Only a very few people, it's sort of it's ingrained in them for some reason. Everyone else, we all have to struggle to figure out what to do. You would think uh, even I have an engineering undergrad degree and I have an MBA and and I've uh, done other classes and I've taken tax classes. You would think right away as soon as I did that, I would know what to do. No, I didn't. I made mistakes early on. And what I realized very quickly is that people weren't paying attention to other areas of their life they should. So, yes, I could do their tax return. But I was watching them, maybe a, a loved one passed away, or maybe they were ready to retire and they didn't have enough money. And so right away, I said, tried to identify some of the areas I could help my clients with to address all the areas of personal finance for a client, not just tax planning in the case of an insurance person, not just insurance planning. But I've identified these six areas. If you pay attention to these six areas in your life, throughout your life, that area of your life can be taken care of, or at least there's a very good chance it will. And if you don't, it may be accidentally that they work out. So that's well, uh, that's it. Yes. Okay. Let's let's talk about mm-hmm. those because I never thought of you know the big six. It just never occurred to me. I'm like you. Yeah, I'm like oh, okay. You know, I try to take care of everything as best as I can, but I don't know what I don't know. So if you don't mind, let's. And you're saying you know based on your 30 years of experience. There's stable personal finance, big six. What are the six? Okay, the big six are, uh, and they aren't necessarily in a specific order, so don't view them as necessarily the first is more important because it depends on where you are in your life. But the big six are cash flow planning, insurance planning, retirement planning, college planning, estate planning, and tax planning. So, and and I put cash planning at the beginning because it is the bedrock. It is the the foundation that helps you do all the rest, Uh, to have enough money to plan the other items, to understand how to plan the other ones based on what you're making, what you've saved, what you need to save. And uh, most people don't have any sort of forecast set up uh, in advance, so they're kind of just accidentally succeeding or not succeeding is what ends up happening. 
So that's the, where I start people off with the cash flow planning. So with the cash flow plan, are, do you recommend that people connect with a financial planner? Or their tax account. Uh, who do we who do we need to talk with? Who do we need to That hire? is the problem right there, Denise. Yeah. You got it. Who do you go to do this? There is nobody to go to. Yes, if you've already amassed five hundred thousand dollars and you have a financial planner, they'll help you do a financial plan. But if you haven't and you're just starting out, no financial planner is gonna sit down, roll up their sleeves and help you figure out a, a forecast. And the same with the tax the problem in the tax industry is there's no billing for this. There's no fee structure for it. People can't afford it that really need it. So if the preparer isn't willing to address it, it doesn't happen. All they say is you need to get your cash flow in order, your negative cash flow, but they don't really tell them how to do it. So there really isn't a good place to go. That's why this book uh, sort of lets you know right off the bat sort of how to begin the process. And once you begin the process, doors open and you understand how to move forward. So in my book, I even put on a horizontal page, the cash flow report. And it happens to be in Excel, but you don't have to be an Excel expert. That's a, a type of spreadsheet program. You can do it manually just by writing it out. But the point is, if you look at it, I talk about how to start, how to write down your income and expenses, what format to put it in, uh, how to move about it in terms of uh, separating monthly versus yearly expenses. For example, on that page, I've got put down your net paycheck every time it comes in. People already get messed up right there. I want the after tax. So what's going into the bank account? That's the one I want. Okay. Now people get paid every two weeks sometimes. So they get confused. Say, well, I get two paychecks. Well, twice a year, I'll get three paychecks. Well, under June and December, whatever it is, put down the three paychecks. So, and if the spouse is only working part-time and it changes, try and estimate what it is per month. So get that income monthly so you know what's coming in. And then you work on the expenses. Same thing goes. Everybody tries to put in when it's going to be due. If you pay your property tax in your house twice a year, they put it under April and December. I say no. Make everything monthly, every expense, even if you don't pay it monthly. So if your property tax is $2,400 a year, you put in $200 a month. But, Mike, oh. I don't pay it that way. I said, okay, we'll right. get to that. Don't worry about that. Everything monthly. So if you want to, if you estimate your vacations are going to cost 5000 put in about $400 a month. If you estimate your car insurance, which is only paid over a six-month period, divide it by 12, the total. Put it in monthly. You want everything monthly. So once we get that monthly, you could see if you're really cash flow positive or negative very easily on a monthly basis. And again, See, I would have say, never well, thought of that. Yes. I yes. wouldn't because I pay my taxes in December I, once. I right. pay them once so, and I pay cash. So, Mike, what do I do if, if I pay it in December and, and I pay the whole thing then? I say, well, then you put it away monthly into a savings account. So if it's $2,400 a year, oh, you stick okay. $200 in a tax savings account. And guess what? You've made all your expenses monthly, everything. And then when you're ready to pay it, you draw it out of the savings into the checking and you pay it off. So gotcha. I only know this is because this is what worked for me when I was young. And it wasn't until I had a problem that it was a big problem, but I, I wasn't working. I couldn't figure out how to get it to work out right. I said, okay, I'm going to make everything monthly and put it aside. And I call them envelopes. Now, let me tell you what envelopes are. Envelopes are now, this is mostly for a young couple who's really struggling. I mean, it could be an older couple, but the point is you're struggling financially to make it on a monthly basis, and you aren't watching your expenses. I can very quickly assess if a client walks in, this is their, what they're asking about, whether they uh, know what they spend every month. And that's the first question I ask. How much do you think you spend every month? And usually I get a deer in headlights look, which is not okay. just one. I mean, everybody, virtually everybody does that because they don't, they don't watch it. But you could. You could know your expenses. The first question I ask, how much do you spend at the market each month for your food? They don't know. They don't know because they're going in every three days, then a day, and they swipe the card, and they pay cash, and, they, and one person goes, the other person goes. They have no idea, right? Well, if you don't even know what you're spending at the market, how would you know what you're spending on entertainment, vacations, and other things, right? It's such a basic thing. So I tell them, if they're willing, ways to normalize this. This isn't ways to spend less necessarily, but it's to understand what you are spending so you can understand whether there's a better way. Because all of my discussion is not about limiting and budgeting and restricting. It's about knowledge and being able to understand what your goals are 
and achieve those goals. You make the decision whether you want to cut expenses or not cut expenses. That spins on your goals, okay? So I say create an envelope for, for groceries. Let's say you're going to spend, let's say a family of four, you're going to spend $250 a week, whatever the number is, $200 a week. You take $200 every week out of the bank and you put it in that envelope. And when you go to the market, you take that $200 and you spend, your, spend the money. Now, if it's, you should have a little extra in there to begin with. So if it's 210 or 220, I'm not telling you to only spend 200. But you'll get an idea over time what it costs you because you go once a week. Yes, if you have to go in between, pull out the envelope, take some money out. But use the cash, and that's your grocery envelope. And after a while, you won't even need the envelope after maybe six months or a year because you'll know exactly. You'll just take the cash out, you'll have it available, and you'll go buy your groceries. And all of a sudden, you know your, cat, your groceries are $220 a month on average. And you also find out how much you're spending on sundries there that maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should buy them in a different store that costs less. All sorts of doors open up. And it's not because you restricted yourself. It's because you normalized it. You understand what you're spending. See, I've Comments? been doing... Questions? Yeah. yeah. I've been doing something very similar. About mid-year last year, I decided to... My my credit card debt was worrying me. It was just going up and up and up, and I couldn't figure out why. But I knew I didn't want it to keep on happening. So I shut them all off. I didn't close them, but I shut them all off. They're paused. If anybody got a hold of my wallet, wouldn't do them a darn bit of good because those cards are not working. <laughs> my debit card, however, is working. And any time, and this is a mental thing, when I, when I have to go buy something or I want to go buy something and I know it's going to be cash out of my bank account, all of a sudden, I hear this screeching sound in the back of my head going, whoa, hang on. Do you really want that? Do you really need that? And it's a whole different mindset. So I'll be, I can tell you right now, I know exactly what I spend at the grocery store. Exactly. Because I've budgeted. There you go. I've worked out where I need to go to Walmart, what goes to Rouse's, what goes to Sam's Club, you know, where I can bulk buy. I've worked it all out. And it's not really me just saying, you know, I don't want to, you know, reel in. It's me going, I don't want it on a credit card. So it's a mental mindset, but it worked for me. It's interesting. It was good for you. The fantastic the way you did that. Sometimes cutting off the credit cards is a little drastic for some people, but you've got the right idea. Definitely. No, I just uh, put them uh, to can, sleep. Yeah. If I need to use them, yeah. I'll turn them back on. But at there this moment, go. I don't okay. need to use them. So, so I tell people to put down their list. Of course, uh, what happens in the cash flow expenses is they miss a lot of things the first time they do it. It usually takes two or three or four iterations to get everything in there. they got to go look at back, back at some bank statements, let a month go by and watch what they spend because they'll forget to – they'll give it to me and I'll say, no, you missed this, this, and this, and I'm sure or this is higher. Check it out because I know what people spend. I've done this enough. Anyway, so it takes some iterations, but so often these, someone puts down the category credit card expense as an expense. And I say, I don't understand. That's not an expense. Paying the credit card is not an expense except for the minimum fee or paying it off. But if you're charging things to it, everything you're charging to it goes in a different category. It doesn't go in right. the credit card. So if you put down right. 2000 a month in the credit card, either you got a lot of credit cards and you're paying the 2000 a month to pay them off, or you're putting charges on there, you're not putting in the right categories. So it takes time for people to understand that the credit card charges hide those expenses and they need to reveal them so they understand where they're at. Exactly. And another thing I did while I'm tooting my own horn, I don't do minimums. I mean, I think that's silly, but you know, I've got most of them paid off. Now it's taken some time and it means that I'm not spending in other places, which is fine. Apparently I don't need to. But I'm paying way beyond what the uh, the minimums are each month, and I've got them set up so I don't have to do anything. It just goes out automatically. And then I check them about every couple months, and I see where they've gone down, and I'm happy and just more determined not to buy silly stuff. Right. That's good. And to, to make my audience, your audience, feel better about all of this, they're everyone's at a different place. Some people says, well, that's nice needs, but I don't have extra money to pay off my credit card right now. I, I don't. I, I, good for you, but not good true, for me. True, so we started right. a different place for them. You create the cash flow. You find out where where it stands, and you may have to get a second job, or you may have to revise your living quarters, or you may have to revise how many vacations you take per year. I don't know what it is, but you can't begin to know what you need to do until you know where you're at now. 
So many people want to put down their cash flow as they want it to be rather than as it is. That's not helpful. We need to know what it is now, then you can make a plan. So there are people who can't afford to pay off anything, and we have to create a different plan for them. There are people that can pay off a little bit. There are other people that can pay off a lot. There's other people that use it. They don't even need to be using it in the first place because they have extra income. Why are you even bothering? So, you know, it depends. Yeah. And that, that covers everybody out there. There's a plan for everybody. <laughs> but basically you have to understand it, want it, and follow through. Is that correct? Yes, and I think sometimes people come don't do it until they get to a breaking point, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, when you're, you're so upset about your financial position, that causes you to address it. It's, that's more uncomfortable than addressing it is because addressing it is super uncomfortable for people, period. So if they don't need to, they don't. Or if they don't want to, they don't. Well, something will push them. But if you can think of it rather than as a drudgery, more of a project, a project that's going to help you have a great life later on, uh, improve your financial position, improve the things you can do, improve the where you can retire. If you view it as this is a path that leads to a promised land, it's a little bit easier to do it before you have to, if you, as uh, some people view it. Exactly. Couple, and this isn't yeah, taught yeah. In, in school. I mean, this isn't taught to us when we're leaving high school or even leaving college. I mean, this isn't part of our growing up experience, which is kind of a shame. I wish I'd had it. I mean, All I six of these wish are I'd not taught. This. And let's talk yeah. about that. Let's keep on going about those big six because I think they're really important. Sure. Can I add one more thing about the cash flow before we go? Because I want to oh, be sure. very important. This is all about what you. What stops people, what, what stops couples from doing it is fighting about it. I, I can't tell you. When they, a couple will come into me, I say, there is a couple rules I have if you're going to work with me on this. First of all, I don't charge some, usually nothing because it's not really the area that us taxpayers can, and the people that need it can't afford to pay anyways. So it's kind of, I do it as, as part of my, my practice. Okay, uh, I couldn't do it for every client because that's all I'd be doing. But I, this is my passion for people. Uh, in any case, couples come in. I say the first rule is no fighting. If you're going to go home and fight about who's spending the most, this isn't going to work. Think about doing it for another couple. You're doing it for somebody else. It's a project. If you start arguing about something, the rule is call Mike. That's the rule. Okay, or somebody if it's not me you're calling. And get other opinions and not to find who's right or wrong to find the path forward to get to the result. And no fighting about putting down the numbers because they are what they are. They're factual. Just write them down. We'll talk later on how to fix them. Let's talk about getting them down and then fixing them. It'll be easier once we have it down. Anyway, I'm ready to move on to the other big six. If you like. <laughs> That's great advice, and I'm glad you do that because, you know, fighting, it's like, well, you bought what? Like, oh, geez. Right. <laughs> I mean, look, I have been married. I'm no longer, and that's, you know, going to be my life's, I will never get married again. Let's just leave it right there. Been there, done it, hated it, not doing it again. But I never really understood my finances because my former husband did it all. Ouch. Mm. So I had right. to make my own mistakes, get myself into a bit of debt, and then walk around and go, well, son of a biscuit. And now I know what to do. But it took a long time because I didn't know. I just did, I didn't know. You don't know what you don't know is, I guess, what I'm saying. That's right. Good enough. So okay. So keep on going. Okay. So the the other uh, the other big five, if you will, that I talk about in the book, uh, insurance planning, retirement planning, college planning, estate planning, and tax planning. So let's let's just kind of click them off one by one, and you'll let me know if you want me to expand on some of these or or good enough. We'll go to tax planning because it's really the easiest and the most understandable. Uh, although you'd be surprised because it has the word planning in it. People do their tax once a year and everything's fine. Well, if you have the same job and have the same expenses, deductible expenses, and your return looks identical every year, yeah, that's the right way to do it. That's fine. But a lot of people change jobs. They're self-employed, which that's you know my mantra. That's where I'm an expert in, self-employed and, and businesses. Uh, in any case, and what they do is they don't, they fail to plan for the ending of the year successfully and kind of leave it to chance that it was as good or what they wanted it to be from last year. And tax planning is that taxes shouldn't be a big surprise at the end of the year. If your 
uh, advisor. Now, maybe you don't have one, and that's the problem, that you don't know how to do this yourself, plan yourself. But the point is, is that it, it, an advisor should be saying, if you want to plan next year, I want to plan next year. If you're not willing to, I can't. So tell me what's going to go on. It's an exit interview on your last tax return. What's going on next year? What's going to change? Are there going to be any big raises or bonuses? Are you going to become self-employed on the side? How much will that be? Will there be a gain or loss the first year? So we can estimate it. We can do this estimate, and then we can review it later in the year if necessary. And then at tax time, guess what? Not a big surprise. So if their tax law changes, we should be reviewing that too. So it's not a big surprise. Taxes should not be a big surprise. And that's the most I can tell you about tax planning. And obviously, there's a lot more to it because when you meet with an advisor, they can say, oh, you are going to owe a lot of tax. Maybe we should consider more into the 401k or, you know, solutions to these tax planning issues. Of course, that goes along with tax planning. But, uh, again, people have a hard enough time talking to a tax advisor once a year, let alone more than once a year about this subject. Uh, but it's always a good idea. It's so, that my chapter. Yeah, exactly. So, Look, people would rather go to the dentist than, I think, a tax planner or a tax accountant. It's just so frightening. And But what you're saying is it needs to be. It doesn't need to be that difficult. You know, you got to find an advisor that's nice, that's positive, that yeah. not tells you all the things you can't do and that you've done them wrong and you're not making enough and, you know, that sort of thing. You need to find and meet up just like a financial planner. You want to meet with someone that you feel comfortable with, that you're okay calling. And if, Mike, you're too busy, if there's someone else at your office I can call to get these services, you know, it's really a matter of wanting to do it and finding a path forward to do it. So that's that's the way to go. So basically oh, you way, don't have to – I'm sorry, dude. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say you don't have to just – hire the first person that your Auntie Grace says, oh, he did a good job for me, but he's kind of a jerk. You don't have to hire that person. No, and and really referrals are the best way to go, and you shouldn't. But even if Auntie Grace says, hey, they've done a good job for me, go ahead and check them out, and the preparer says, yes, I remember Auntie Grace. I've known her for a long time. Yes, please, I'll do your taxes. That doesn't mean it's a good fit for you. And it doesn't mean that you have to tell the person, hey, I don't like you, I'm leaving. Say, well, you know, it just wasn't the greatest fit, uh, the way we do business, and I appreciate the time you spent. You make a nice exit, or you just say, no, this isn't work for me after I interviewed you. Thank you so much. And you move on, and you find someone that fits for you, that you don't feel uncomfortable when they're taking your information down, or they don't, uh, you know, uh, put you down in any ways accidentally. So it needs to be a positive experience. If it can be a positive experience, then you'll want to do it more and do more accurate work. Exactly. Okay, I'm sorry I interrupted you. So go ahead and finish your thought. I was going to say before I forget that your audience should know this is, when it says ultimate guide, it maybe implies it's a big book, a big, large book with real lot of detail. This is a 70-page book, 10, 10 to 15 pages per chapter, six, seven chapters. It is highly consumable. It is not meant to tell you how to do every detail. It's meant to help you understand the important areas of life that need attention and why they need attention. I get very quickly to the problems if you do not pay attention to these items, what can happen. So I wanted to throw that in to make sure people understand it's very consumable. Okay. And we'll talk a little bit later on where they can find it. Um, what This is a big deal because people, and I, I get this in my business, I'm a web developer, I'm a social media marketer. People don't know what to ask. They will come to me, and I'm sure they come to you as well. Oh, well, you know, I want this, 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 and this. And after we're through talking, that's not at all what they wanted or needed. Do you find that when people come to you, they think they've got this kind of based idea of what they must have, and they don't really know the the questions that they should be asking? Do you have any particular set of questions that people should be asking you or a financial planner? that can just kind of lead them from one, one question to the next so they flow well and everybody understands what's going on. Well, it depends if you're going to a tax advisor like me or a financial planner or an insurance person. Let's just use the, what you said, financial planner or let's say tax advisor. I think the key is, is you're going, most people that go to a tax advisor are going there for tax advice. They don't realize that the tax advisor really should address other areas of their life. Um, but let's say you're going to the financial planner. The financial planner how to, there's how to choose one. And again, referrals are an excellent way to start. 
uh, and the person needs to be in business long enough, they need to uh, be very positive again. Do not get a financial planner that doesn't want you to call, doesn't want, you know, just do as I say, stop making your own decisions, stop telling me how, I should, how your money should be invested. I will tell you I'm the expert. No, 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 there's a give and take, there's tolerances of risk, risk tolerances, and that financial planner, again, the same thing. They should be talking about the big six. Maybe they have their own big six, but they should include most of these. So any advisor you go to, all your advisors should be referring to the other advisors. Sometimes I talk to insurance people, and they, and they say, well, have they gotten a living trust yet, your client? Because talk, we're talking about our client. And I said, I'm so glad you brought that up. Do you do that about other areas of their life, like college planning? And, you know? and they said, yes, I do. I said, that's the way I think. I like that. And so there, even though there may be no fees involved in referring them to a, a, a different person, they have done it. So the questions that need to be asked is first, what are your concerns? What are your concerns? My cash flow isn't good enough, or I'm worried that I won't be able to retire in the style I want, or um, I'm worried I won't be able to afford college education. If you just look at your financial worries and say, what am I worried about when I go to sleep at night and keeps me up at night, that's the things you need to ask and if and really any good financial planner should be able to take it from there and say, well, here's all the categories. Let's cover them all and see what's bothering you. And there should be no stone unturned once you start it off. So it's really, if you find the right person, you don't even have to ask the right questions because they will. Uh, if you don't find exactly. the right person exactly, you need to know to say, what is bothering you? Now, you said to me, I don't know what to ask. I don't know what I don't know. Well, just look around you and think about parts of your life. If you have children, you got to worry about college. You have children, you have to worry about estate planning, right? If you, for yourself, you have to worry about retirement planning. If you were to die or incapacity, you have to have some sort of insurance, right? So it all kinds, and I got to have money to pay for all these things. So the big six naturally come out if you think about all the problems you can have. I don't want to be negative, but these problems all have solutions. And they all seem to be something that none of us can avoid. Really, we can't. So what I'm hearing from you, Michael, is that no one person is going to solve all of these or be able to work with you. You really need to have what I would, you use the word envelope, I'm using the word team. You need to have a team of people, a CPA, an accountant, a financial planner, somebody like you who are working together as far as I can tell. So they all have your best interest at heart and there's a sizable amount of information going back and forth so nothing really gets lost. Does that sound about a reasonable you know, expectation? It is very reasonable, and it's very accurate. So if you can find someone like myself who cares about these other big six, or big five, because I care about tax planning first off, right, the other five, they will have referrals for you. Whether you want to use those referrals, they create the team. I have three of each people in these, these categories that will – will help you a uh, choice. So I have three insurance agents that we can help you with the insurance issues. Uh, I have three uh, attorneys that can help you with estate planning if that's what we need to do. Uh, refer you to college planner, uh, financial planners for the retirement. I mean, we have a team. So anyone, what's, what's interesting is anyone you go to should have a team attached to them that you can jump off the board from there and do the others with. If it's a financial planner, they should have tax taxpayers and others. And they all should end up working together to help you make a full plan for yourself. Exactly. I build websites for a lot of these people, and I always insist that we have a resources page. We're not going to lay out who the three teams are, but we're going to make sure that whoever is visiting understands that you've got a lot of people that can help you in different areas. So resources, mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to have them, right? Yes, because I've, I've always had referrals and resources like this. When people call, I told my clients they can call about anything at all. Okay. I don't care if they need a therapist, they can call me and I will find right. them a referral or somebody. And so what has happened is my clients feel like I'm their source for everything. And I don't want them to call me every day to ask me about daily activities, but they understand that. They understand when they have something important. Even though I know Mike's not a therapist or Mike's not a financial planner or Mike doesn't know where, doesn't do loan refinances, I know Mike's going to lead me in the right direction. Or I have a, a lawsuit uh, pending and I need a different attorney. He can help me. You know, he can help me find one. And uh, I always tell him if I can't uh, find someone, I'll find someone that can find somebody. 
Exactly. And, you know, that's leadership. It really is. I know, you know, you have a business, you have a a practice. I don't know if it's, is it a practice? Is that what it's called? Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah, definitely a tax tax accounting practice. Mm -hmm. But you're also invoking extreme, what I would call extreme leadership, because you're not trying to do just the one thing. You are really delving into what people need and finding them the assistance they need. And those are the best businesses in my experience. Whatever it is that you're doing, once you understand that, you know, we're not just, okay, in this page, this guy needs to know what about his taxes for 2022. And this page, you know, his mom is passing away. Do they need to downsize? That kind of thing. Those are different arenas. And I think once a lot of business owners understand that they cannot be everything to everybody, they grow. And because they grow, their relationship with their customers, clients, whoever it is, grows and grows in a good, strong way. Definitely. And speaking of businesses, that's where where I specialize. A lot of businesses don't view their individual as something they will ask questions about when they're talking to their tax preparer. Oh, you're doing my business return, but it's really they go even if even if someone does a business a corporate return and they don't do the individual return. If that's the case for me, I still say, have you done your estate planning? You have kids who are five and seven. How much do you have in their college plans, and what are you doing? So, person along the way should be asking you these questions to help you. Uh, So, I am very big on business owners because oftentimes the business owners, the first five to 15 years of their business life, when it first starts, you don't even have enough money to set aside to do something with because you're building your business. So if you talk about these things though, you can figure out the best way to move forward to protect your family. Cause I have a mantra that I use. Everything I do is aimed at protecting your family and securing your financial future. That those two lines overarch everything we're talking about. Protect your family and secure your financial future. Everything is working towards that. So if I say, uh, hey, you need to go get insurance, even if you have money to put it in a retirement plan, you need a million five of insurance because if you die tomorrow, your family needs the money. I'm very stark with people. I don't want to mince words. I don't want to be there talking to the spouse and they didn't have insurance and what are we going to do next? So I take it personally that I'm going to be involved later on and I want the answer to be good. The result. Right, right. So you you take a very holistic approach to your clients, which is excellent. So we've talked a little bit about the first big six. What's the next one you would like to talk about? Uh, well, there, well, why don't we talk about insurance next? Uh, insurance. A lot of people don't like to talk about insurance. They think it happens automatically. Obviously, people think of insurance. They think of medical insurance, and maybe they think of life insurance. But there's long-term care. There's disability. And they, most people don't know the difference between long-term care and disability. You know, one's for now, one's for later type of thing. But what does it mean? How much do they cost? How do I qualify? When should I get it? Um, there's, you know, it just opens a new icon in your life of what insurance planning. And people don't like to talk about death. I can understand that or incapacity. But we need to talk about it so that we can plan for it properly. And when I have a couple in my office, I pretty much shut up one of the couples and say, you can't talk because you're not here anymore. Now, I look at the other person and say, do we have enough to live? Are we okay oh, right now? Can we live ow. the rest of our lives or can we not? And if we can, so that, guess what? That's a whole more insurance. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I learned that from my father because he was in insurance for 23 years with Prudential Insurance, and he told me lots of stories over the time of how he conveyed the need, and I took some of the things that worked for me, and that was one of them. So well, and when you're talking, care is, yes, go ahead. I'm when sorry. you're talking about insurance, there are so many different levels. I mean, there's it, it really depends on where you are financially, what you can afford, I guess. But it seems to me that that should be, and I'm just this is a wild guess here, that that should be part of your savings plan. If you can't afford it now, you better find a way in your savings plan to afford it and understand it. It's a line item on the uh, cash flow report. Insurance, gotcha. there might be several different insurances. There might be right. medical if you're not covered at work or there be a long-term care, depending on your age. There, there might be life insurance. There will be life insurance. Now, let's just talk about one example, life insurance. 
people come to me and they'll, they'll say, well, first of all, they always talk about investment. Isn't it better to invest the money than buy a whole life permanent policy and have a cash value? I said, that's an investment question. Let's talk about insurance. If you die, how much insurance should your family get? That's not an investment question. That's okay. So, so we get to the first, let's talk about the need, the need, and the need might be how to very quickly in my book, I talk about, well, how do I know how much I need? All right. Well, if you're making uh, $100,000 a year and that salary needs to be replaced, we determine the kids are young and, and it's going to be needed for a long time. Okay. Well, how much do I have to invest at 5% earnings, let's say, average, to get $100,000 a year? And you have to divide by 0.05. Uh, and, and it's 20 times. So it's $2 million at 5% is 100,000 a year earnings. So if I can get $2 million of term insurance, I know my family will get 100,000, roughly $100,000 a year without touching the 2 million at 5%. You can assume 4%, you can assume 6%, changes the number a little bit. That's a very, very quick way. 20 times is a good number. So, and then they talk about, then we talk about what type of insurance. Should it be term insurance or, or permanent insurance that costs more? Can you afford that? And if it's term, how long is the term for? And what happens when it runs out? And there's all sorts of planning you do with an insurance agent. But the very first step is to understand that I need insurance and why I want insurance. Because if I have a savings account and I save $1,000 a month, after three months, I got $3,000. If I have a $2 million policy and I die after three months, I've got $2 million, my family's got $2 million. So insurance first, saving second. That's now, what, what about, right, and I agree with you. What about single people? Why would single people who have no children, who they're doing okay, they're doing fine, and I'm asking because I'm walking through this with a friend of mine, um, why would they need insurance? Why would they I, need life insurance? Well, it depends where they are in their life. So if they're, they're still young enough that they feel like they might get married and have kids, you want to get insurance before you might have some sort of medical situation that causes you not to be able to qualify for insurance. So you want to get it when you're on the younger side. If you can, it's best to do so because it costs less and the premium will be less and you'll qualify. If you're, let's say, later in life and you're, the plan is not to get remarried so no one's going to need your insurance, let's say the kids mm-hmm. are on their own or are not going to need insurance proceeds, there may not be a need for insurance. And you've got enough savings and and investments where you you will, if something happens to you, the money could be used to take care of your end of life planning and things like that. So life insurance may not be what you need. That's what I was saying earlier about the cash flow. Everyone's got a different situation. Mike, I don't need life insurance. That's fine. What about long-term care? Do you have enough money to take care of yourself if you become, yeah, became incapacitated, had to be nursing care? Will your funds run out? And who, what happens then if they run out? So we, we talk about all the different insurances because there's like six or seven different types of insurances. And it doesn't mean you need them all. And you shouldn't get them all the right away. Matter of fact, you mentioned to me, Denise, that what if I can't afford all that? Well, some people will say, well, I can't afford a million, $2 million of term insurance. It's going to cost me $300 a month. I can't afford that. So I'll get none. No, 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 no. Go get 500000 Go get two things. Right. Get something. You can tier them. You, as you make more money, you get other ones. You, you do what you can, so it's better than doing nothing. That's always the rule. Do what you can. Did that answer your uh, question? Yes, it does. Because, I mean, if you – and I was doing some mental math while you were talking. It's like, well, if you save $1,000 in three months, you've got $3,000. But if you've got no insurance, you've got $3,000. And then I'm assuming that, you know – the wife or the husband, whoever gets this three thousand dollars, there could be taxes. There's, you know, there's always taxes, and I'm just assuming. But if you have even a, a five thousand dollar policy, at least that's better than three thousand. So yeah, that makes perfect yeah. sense to me. And by the way, just for your audience, uh, you uh, life insurance proceeds are not taxable. Oh, it's good. It's a very favorable area of the tax code, at least. <laughs> but bank accounts yeah. are, aren't it's- they? You well, know, no, not really. You, you, unless it's, if it's a pre-tax account, it would be 401k, IRA, okay, uh, gotcha. traditional IRA. But if it was just your after-tax savings, it will not be. So it depends okay. how you invest it. Yeah. See, these are questions people have to ask. I have no clue. That's why I'm asking what right. seem to be oddball questions. But if we, we don't know what we don't know. Okay, so is there anything else on insurance you want to share? But We've got about 20 minutes, and 
I think we've got a little bit of uh, we got some road here to cover. So where would you All like right. to go no, next? Not, not really. The book kind of explains the rest. Why don't we go to retirement planning? Uh, actually, let's go to college planning then retirement planning. So college planning, and I'll I'll run through these, is is very simple in the sense that you need to start. Now we know that some people have enough money they can go set aside three hundred thousand dollars for their kids' college private tuition to begin with. That's not who we're talking about here. They may want to invest in a five twenty nine plan to save some taxes and things like that. We're talking about people who don't have enough to pay for it all at once. They they don't start. They you need to start. So when the child is born and a couple of years after they're born, you should start putting away every month twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, whatever makes sense. Not a huge number but a reasonable number and increase it every time you can. And it will build up over time. If you have two children, two accounts, start the next one. So maybe the older child child who's five is getting 200 a month in there. And the younger child who's three is getting a hundred a month. Okay. And you build them up slowly over time. What you invest them in is another whole question, which takes more time, but that's not really, I tell people that's not really the main thing. The main thing is they get set aside. Because I get people who come in and their children are 15 and 16 years old. They said, and I say, what college planning have you done? Because I haven't met them before. And they say, well, our college planning is that they'll take loans or they'll go to community college. So, well, that's okay. But, it, it, you know, let's start now. 15, okay. Then we got three years. Let's start putting it in now. Maybe you'll have 10,000 or 15,000 set aside that will help get us started. But anyways, there's a, every month it's one of your lines on your cash flow. That's the key. Gotcha. I have to ask you, and this just popped into my little pea brain. I actually have friends who, instead of one in particular I'm thinking of, who does not have a college plan for her children, but she has a wedding plan for her children. My eyebrows went straight up to my hairline. I I don't understand that thinking. Is that something you see a lot of? Uh, No, I wouldn't say that specific situation. That hasn't really come up a lot. But also, I try not to make decisions for my clients. I like to give them information so they can make an informed decision for themselves. So uh, if they say, I want to save for a wedding and I don't want to save for college because I think they should pay for their own college, I think it's good for them to take loans okay. and do things. That's a, that it might be a child-rearing rearing opinion, right? And I say, okay, as long as you've thought about it, as long as you understand the choices you're making. I don't like people to come back to me later, Mike, if you would have told me about this, I would have done it differently. That's the key. Okay. Gotcha. I can't make people act, but I can lead them to the water uh, and then try and urge them to drink. <laughs> but yeah, no, it yeah. would not be my recommendation, Denise, of course, <laughs> what you said. But, uh, but, but anyway, I understand some people have different ways of doing things. I just uh, don't understand large weddings. Yeah, I, I don't get yeah, them, but that's right. a personal thing. I'm like, really? Yeah, why don't you just elope, have a lunch bag and pay for the house? How about that? <laughs> I don't say it, but I think it. Yeah, I understand. Uh, how about retirement planning? A big one, too. And really, it's yeah. very similar to college planning in the sense that you need to start early if you can, and, and slow and steady wins the game. Uh, yeah, there are some people that make so much money, they could just put large sums away. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's not 95% of society and community. Uh, it, it, you do it slow and steady. You put in what you can. What vehicle you use is a separate question, an investment question. People get hung up on that. Before they put a dollar in, well, how should I invest it? How about you invest first? Whatever medium you have, whether it's be savings or a 401k or an IRA or whatever you want, build up over time. Even if you're 50 years old, I still tell them to start. You've got to start now. Let's make a more aggressive plan if you can. So, but how do we know how much we can put in unless we do a cash flow plan to understand what we can afford to put in? So it all starts with that cash flow planning. Now, another item on retirement is this after-tax versus pre-tax, like a Roth IRA, which is after-tax. You're just putting in your kind of your own money, not getting a deduction, and none of it's taxable later on. Or a regular IRA where you deduct it, save some taxes, and it's all taxable when you take it out. That makes brains explode from an investment standpoint. Well, you can get advice on which is better, but what I tell people in general is you want to have a certain fund of after-tax money when you retire that you can take it and it doesn't create a lot of tax. And a certain amount is pre-tax. So you take it and it does create tax because you got a deduction along the way. And that way, I have clients who've got that have not agreed with that. They put everything pre-tax. They've got a million five in a 401ks and IRAs, 
And every time they want to do something, they have to take out and pay tax and grudgingly do so. Whereas if they had an after-tax account to balance it, they could take out of a savings or a Roth IRA or something and not have to pay tax. They get all that money to do the, what they want to do. So there's a balance of retirement planning where you're investing. And then there's just doing it in the first place and having it on your cash flow spreadsheet unless it comes out pre-tax before you get your net pay, then it's being done prior to the income being put down. Gotcha. Was that so, clear enough? Yeah. yeah, I understood it, I think. And I don't see any questions popping up from the audience. So th- there's a lot that you're talking about here. I mean, whether you're 20 years mm. old or you're 50 years old, there's a lot to consider here. And I'm going to go back to what I've already said. We don't know what we don't know. So keep on going because we need to know what questions to ask and, you know, who do we ask them to? So go to, well, you would ask them to your tax preparer and your financial advisor. And if you don't have a financial advisor, ask your tax preparer. If they don't know, then you need to find, have them refer you to somebody who will give you those answers. Now in my, in my book, there is a spreadsheet that shows the cash flow and right under it shows a retirement kind of program. So the first thing you need to do when you start, trying to analyze what you should do is do a net worth statement. A net worth statement is just merely listing down your assets, your car value, your bank account, your 401k, your IRA, if you have them, all those things. If you have rental property, you put a value in there and then you put the debts, how much mortgage you have, all those, and get a net equity. That's a starting place. I don't care if it's even negative. A lot of you people have negative because of student loans, all sorts of things. doesn't matter. It's factual. Then, as you'll see in my book, a year later or two years later, you do it again, and you set goals. Where do I want that to be? All the way out to retirement, okay? Now, if you're 24, you're probably not going all the way out to retirement. You're probably going five or 10 years out. What are my goals? What do I want to do? But if you're 35, you do. You want to go further out every five, 10 years and try and what is my goal? And then you revise those goals. You don't get upset that you didn't meet a goal after two years. You figure out why. You revise it and move on. And this is where my sports comes in to play. Uh, it, you know, I'm the working out accountant, right? Uh, what you want to know about that is I've done three Ironman races. I've done Spartan Beast. I've done a 100-mile run. Um, I love working out. And uh, fortunately for me, I love working out because, you know, it's, it's a good thing to like because it keeps you in good shape. Uh, but what it has taught me over the years is first you set a goal of what you want to get done then you have to set a training schedule. And that training schedule is the path to financial freedom and then the financial side, right? And you realize very quickly that I hurt my foot or my hip hurts or I, I you know, I stubbed my knee on, fell down and I got to revise my plan. And I can't, maybe I can't do the race then or maybe I can, I have to take off a week or two and come back. So you, you're constantly revising your plan and not being disappointed about not meeting the goals, rather revising them so you can stay on the path, create that new path that's very close to the old path. And then, obviously, the actual end is can you get to the goal you want? And the goal is not I can set the goal and let me accidentally get there. I don't want to meander on this path through the forest. I want the most direct path, and I want to review it all the time. And that's where my sports has helped me stay on track on the finances as well. I like what you said about not beating yourself up. This is the way I heard it. I don't think you actually said it. But not beating yourself up because your plan isn't rock solid. It's not going – plans are just that. I mean, they're they're meant to be adapted. They're meant to be changed. Sometimes you just have to scrap them and start over. But don't beat yourself up. I love what you said about the numbers are facts. And I think a lot of us don't think about that. It's like we know they're out there. We know our credit card debt is too high. We know our bank account is not as healthy as we know these things, but we don't know the numbers, which are facts. And that puts you in a whole different mindset, doesn't it? Yes, there's embarrassment. There's anxiety. Uh, All of these things cause us not to want to look at it. I don't want to go to a taxpayer and tell them I have $50,000 of credit card debt. I can't do that. Well, let me tell you, I've seen whatever you're going to bring me, I've seen worse. And I say, so what? I commend you at being here to try and correct the situation and create a path forward. You want to hear about it or you don't want to hear about it. That's the key. So we need to get over ourselves 
and say, okay, I'm going to push through the anxiety. I'm going to push through being uncomfortable. There are people out there that are positive that are going to say, I see this all the time. You're not alone. This is 60% of society or more are like this. And probably 90% at one time or another in their life. So uh, anyone who says, oh, I can't believe you've done that is either lying or they're one of the 2%, right? So uh, the key is to surround yourself with positive advisors that will help you achieve your goals and get you on the right path, not tell you all the things you're doing wrong and to uh, make you upset with yourself. Because those are just exactly. roadblocks. Right. And while you're talking, I keep thinking of it. You know, nobody likes to go to the dentist. I actually like my dentist. He's great. He's, <laughs> I find him very relaxing. I've been known to kind of doze off a little bit if I'm in there very long. I mean, I, it doesn't bother me to go to the dentist, but nobody wants to go to the dentist because they know the dentist is going to say, have you been, flat, you know, like flexing, flexing? What is it? Were you, what is it? Yeah, you do yeah. Yeah. Flossing. I just yeah. lost my I actually do. And I have a little, you know, water squirter thing that does that too. But I don't want to get in there and lie to my dentist and say, no, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do all the time. They can tell. You can tell as well. You don't want to be lied yeah. to. And, and if they're not giving you the information you need, isn't that going to be very difficult for you to help them? So don't get embarrassed. Yes, my not, Just get in there and tell right. the truth. And cry you a little bit if you now. have to, but tell the truth. And I think if people will try to embrace the things that they have a hard time with rather than shying away, it'll make it much better. For instance, the dentist. I, you know, I've, I had a lot of dental problems when I was young, and my brothers had none for some reason. So I had bad feelings about it. But when I got older, I said to the dentist, what would help me to solve, you know, things are way better now as I was 20 or 25 years old already, but uh, what would help? And they said, well, why don't you come in more often? So I go quarterly. I used to go for cleanings and I would catch problems much earlier if it was happening. And you know what? I just went in quarterly, embraced it, and that helped me in the long run. And I made a relationship with the dentist, and that was really turned a lemon into lemonade for me for the most part because now I'm 61 and I still have my teeth, so, and they've done a great job for me. So embracing things and, yeah. and finding people who will be positive is really important. Exactly. I'm telling you, I love my dentists. They are absolutely great. And I don't know too many people who say that, but I actually look forward to going. I mean, they're just such positive people. And I walk out of there knowing I'm good for another six months. I don't have to worry about it. I yes. have to turn myself with. That is a good feeling. Do we have time for estate planning? Yes, we do. We have seven more minutes. So you just keep on going and Wonderful. I'll try not to interrupt and be silly. That's okay. Your questions are good. Uh, there is no bad question in this area. I tell people all the time, believe me, if you're thinking of it, hundreds of others in the audience are thinking of it too. Uh, estate planning. Estate planning is a very general term, and I'm referring to here when should people get trust, that part of estate planning, because some people are very, very wealthy, and estate planning is trying to reduce their estate tax. That's not really what I'm referring to for most of the audience. It's when do I get a, a living trust? What does it do for me? Why do I need one? How much does it cost? Uh, and a lot of people think it's going to save me taxes. It's not going to save you taxes. doesn't limit liability. Now, disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer. My father was a state planning attorney also besides insurance. My brother's an estate planning attorney, so I know a lot about it. You need to go to a state planning attorney to get the real scoop, uh, and I'm just giving guidance. So uh, I am, let's say I'm married. I have two young kids, and I don't have a living trust. And let's say something bad happens to the parents, incapacity or death. How does the law deal with that if I have nothing? Uh, and they're different if it's incapacity or death. So if both die in a car crash, who's going to take care of the kids? Well, there's probably going to be someone, a parent or a brother or a sister. But what if they disagree? They're going to have to go to court to figure it out if they disagree or settle amongst themselves. A trust designates someone. says, this is who I've already designated. Court, somebody else can't unless there's some problem with that person. They can't come in and court and change that. So you've chosen the destiny for your children. You've chosen destiny for yourself if you're incapacitated. Who cares for me? Well, my wife's going to care for me. Well, guess what? If you have no trust and you are incapacitated and on some sort of hookup in the hospital, the Shivo case was a good example. The mother wanted something yeah. and the spouse wanted something else and it went to court. Why did it go to court? Why did the husband say? Right. If you had a trust and the husband was assigned as making the decision, guess what? Court would have not been a part of the problem. So, so it, it, 
it helps design who's going to care for you or the children if something happens. And it also designates where assets will go care of these people should something happen. And that is very, very important. Just the incapacity care for yourself. Even if you're single, have no children, the incapacity, who's going to care for you? Who's going to make your decisions where you're going to be if it happens? Oh, that won't happen to me. Well, I'm sorry. That's like saying, I'm going to rob a bank and I won't get caught. Is that okay? <laughs> no. It happens you could get caught. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it, yeah. it happens all. So estate planning is really important, and uh, it doesn't have to be done in advance. You don't have to do it when you're 21 and have no children and all that, but there's a point at which you do it. You don't need a lot of assets to need it. You get very little assets, you still should have a living trust because of the, one of the things I mentioned before had nothing to do with money. Now, if there's money involved, there's even more of a reason to do the estate planning. It's not really that expensive to do. It is if you don't have any money, but we're talking somewhere between a thousand and three thousand dollars, depending on your plan. And sometimes you can pay over time if you need to. So it's doable, and it's part of the big six needs to be done. Well, Michael, how, what is the difference between having a will that you think is going to cover all of this and actually having a a plan? What what is trust, the difference? Trust. My brother uh, uh, trust, right. has a nice saying. My brother's nice saying he it says, If there's a will, there's a probate. Uh, if there's a will, there's a way. If there's a will, there's a probate. So you can avoid probate. Uh, a will only can it can direct assets. It can do some of the things we're talking about but there's court involvement in the, in the final. Uh, it doesn't avoid court involvement. A living trust uh, ends up in, in almost every case avoids the court getting involved in it and can be administered uh, without, with lawyers and without court involvement. So that's the main thing. And a probate can take nine months in California or longer uh, and delay assets and delay the way things are handled. So there is a way. Nice. Who cares? Okay. So I say, so it takes nine months. I'm not going to pay for a trust. That's fine. There's some fees involved to the court and to the probate attorney. So that, that's okay. It's better to have a will than nothing, uh, but the trust can save the beneficiaries and trustees some trouble. Uh, you know, so and keep it out of the court. Start. Yeah, and, and the trust usually has a trust package. It has all the right. involved in it. Yeah. Right. It's interesting. I live in Southwest Louisiana, and we live under the Napoleonic Code. We're the only only state in the bunch. Things are very different for us. But I have to tell you, some years ago, I knew and he's a deceased now, but he was a judge and he was an attorney, and he had an antebellum home, and he was the most crooked person you've ever met in your life because you could walk into his house and recognize pieces that came from estates that shouldn't have been in his house. But they managed to get there. So mm-hmm. I didn't like mm-hmm. him very much at all. <laughs> yeah. But, it, you know, this is Louisiana. You know, people do what they darn well want to do. If you've ever watched our politics, you already know this. But, yeah, yeah, I personally recognized one piece because I had an antique store at the time. I had already appraised these pieces, and all of a sudden I went, oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. It happens. So I'm guessing a trust is the best way to go. <laughs> you don't want yeah. a crooked attorney. And I'm not saying all are. This just happened to be my personal experience. I'm hoping that most <laughs> aren't. But I'll tell you what, that was years ago, and it still sticks in my craw. Yeah, I can understand that. Well, listen, we've got a minute. Did did we cover everything? Do you have anything else that you need to share before I let you go? Just a parting thought. I want the audience not to feel discouraged if, one, you're starting later in life, think you have enough money. You don't think you make enough money. Don't let those things discourage you from starting and getting something to happen. There's always a solution. You may not like the solution, but there are solutions out there. So always uh, try and uh, go around those roadblocks and get your planning done. Excellent. Listen, tell people where they can find your book, where they can find you. And I have to ask you, do you work with people who are not in your particular geographical area? Can people who have questions want to hire you? I mean, do they have to be in your state? I don't actually do a lot of uh, the big six planning for people who are not my clients already, but I'm certainly willing to entertain questions and guide them in the right place. And they can just go to my website, uh, socal.bernsteinfinancial.com, 
And from there, they can get to Amazon with the book. They can get my YouTube videos, my working out accountant tax and financial tips, which are fun to watch. We work out and talk at the same time, which is difficult to do. And uh, I certainly will entertain questions from the community. Oh, that is very kind of you. And by the way, um, if you have an Amazon Prime account, you can actually get the book um, Kindle Unlimited. You can get it for free and read it and then turn it back in. So there's that. Right, right. And I think it can be downloaded at your website as well as a PDF, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we'll have to ask my web planner on that. Yeah, <laughs> I, think it needs, I, think I think there's a click to the Amazon account directly. Oh, yeah. okay, gotcha. Well, listen, yeah. Michael, thank you. It has been wonderful speaking with you, and I thank you for all the wonderful tips and advice that you've shared with our audience. Again, we don't know what we don't know, and I think you've opened up a whole just list of things that people can start thinking about and start asking their their tax people, their financial planner, just whoever they need to ask. And you're right, don't be embarrassed. You know, don't worry about flossing because the dentist already knows you don't. So just go. Right. (laughs) Before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and anywhere else you consume your business podcast. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Michael, thank you so much for spending this time with me. You're welcome. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, Contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.